Come on, Annie. Let's go to the movies. This is the Cine Realist episode 604. My name is Kyle. My name is James. And we're here to talk movies, movie lists, and movie obsession for the next hour or so. Not going to lie, James, I almost said, and my name is Zach, just to fill that space. Hi, <laughs> this <laughs> Kyle. And Kayla is joining us, too. <laughs> yep. She's filling in for Zach. Um, no, we're Zachless. He's not here. Yeah, he is in, I think he's in Toledo, Ohio right now. Right. He's flying back right now. Oh, is he flying back right now? Well, I mean, he might be sitting in an airport in Toledo, Ohio, but I am, I've been tasked to pick him up at uh, 1230 tonight. Oh, okay. Oh, wow. So you will have firsthand accounts of the exciting Toledo trip. Yes. I mean, I really only have one question. Did the mayor think you were insane? Oh, yeah, that's right. He met the mayor. He had lunch with the mayor. (laughs) That's the one question I need answered. <laughs> of all the places Zach has been to in the world, he is most excited to go to Toledo, Ohio. All right. <laughs> Good on you. Yeah. No, I mean, it's an adventure, I guess. Yeah, I think it's a bucket list place for him. Sure. Or how many other people do you think have Toledo, Ohio on their bucket list? Um, I'm guessing most of them live in Akron. I just want to see the world. <laughs> Sure, they've never gone past their city limits, and so yeah, yeah. Like I heard, I heard, I heard Columbus is great and all, but Toledo—that's where it's at. They want to get out to the big city. Yeah, Toledo. Yep. I don't even think Toledo's the big city. You know, I don't even know is Akron bigger or smaller than Toledo. I these are great questions. I do not <laughs> know the answer to the population of. I mean, I guess we could bring it up if we're really interested. I know almost zero about ohio in general i know that the rock and roll hall of fame is there right oh cleveland yeah they, they do have cleveland that's probably their biggest city. right i know they had to rename their baseball team mm. oh right? they, they, that's right they were the indians what are they now i don't know but i think they're still the indians sure. really i thought they had to rename i mean they they should rename but the redskins renamed maybe yes. they just got rid of their mascot uh, yeah which is a step in the right direction but Sure. Still not quite there. Are you ready for the top? Do you want the top? I bet you if I did the top 10 cities in Ohio by population, you recognize at least half of these. Okay. Okay. Number 10, we have Hamilton. Okay. Almost 63,000 people. Number nine, Lorraine, 65,000 people. Number eight, Canton. This is the first town I've heard of. 69,000 people. You have heard of Canton? I don't know where, but I it, do recognize that name. Isn't like NH, isn't, uh, isn't there some football thing in Canton, Ohio? Or, or isn't like the NCAA Hall of Fame in Canton, Ohio? I feel like there's a, there's something national in Canton, Ohio. It's the Pro Football Hall of Fame. There it is. Pro Football Hall of Fame. That's what it is. Okay. So that's yep. probably where I've heard of it. I would assume so. Yeah. Uh, number seven, Parma, 79,000. Nope. Now we have a big leap to Dayton, which is 135,000, not quite double the size of Parma. Okay. So it really feels like most people in Ohio live within these six cities. Because mm-hmm. then Akron, number five, 188. 
Then another big leap to Toledo, 266, which is the similar to the size of Madison, Wisconsin, where I live, mm-hmm. where Zach grew up. So I wonder if Toledo has a Madison feel to it. Then you jump to number three, Cincinnati, 309,000. Mm-hmm. Number two, Cleveland. Really? 309,000. Three, 309 in Cincinnati, Cleveland. That's what Orlando has. Oh, okay. All right. So then I wonder if that feels... I'm sure everyone calls Cincinnati the Orlando of Ohio. Orlando City proper, I should say. Like oh. if you took all the like suburbs, it'd be way more than that. But Not the metro area. Right. Fair. Yeah. Uh, Cleveland, number two, 361. And another big leap to Columbus, 900,000. Just shy of a million. Oh, wow. So. All right. So, yeah, Zach is exploring the fourth largest city in Ohio currently. <laughs> sure. <laughs> it's working his way up. <laughs> this is part of his uh, lifelong goal to see the fourth largest city of every state. <laughs> right. It's a very specific and, goal of his. And have lunch with the mayors of, have lunch of the, the fourth mayor largest. Of each one. Yeah. Right. I, I am now curious to know. I'm sure Zach will do this. He will probably look up what is the fourth largest city of every state and see if he's been there. <laughs> I hope he reports back to us next week. I hope so, too. It'd be a shame if he didn't. Yeah. Um, welcome to the podcast, Kyle. Ah, thank you, James. This is a flashback to the summer of 2020 when it was just me and you. Oh, yeah. Great times. Everyone loves summer of 2020. <laughs> the good old days. Well, I, I uh, hesitate to say, but do believe we were the only bright spot of that summer. Like for the entire world or just for yourself personally? Uh, for us and anybody within listening range. <laughs> I would say summer 2020 was pretty bad for many reasons, uh-huh. especially here in the United States. Sure. Yeah. Well, I think most of the world was kind of feeling the pain at that point. <laughs> oh, yeah. But like we, we had our own specific countrywide problems on top of the global pandemic, which we were handling like champs. Sure. I don't want to get into it too far, but yes, you do. If Trump becomes the Republican nominee, <laughs> like what, what does that possibly say about us as a country? Oh, it's not. If he, he will become the Republican nominee, like it's, there's no absolute if insanity. If that yeah. happens, well, you know, Joe Biden's old. So, I mean, <laughs> gotta go for the almost as old guy. Sure. Okay, let's move on before we get into too deep. Kyle. Yeah, let's not piss could, off too many listeners. This could turn bad real fast. Yeah, yep. um, we don't have Zach here to rein us in. No, no, no. Uh, before we jump into our main topics for this week, which is going to include a lot of Wes Anderson. If you're yeah, not a so Wes much. Anderson fan and you have no interest in Wes Anderson, you could probably stop listening right now because that's what it's going to be <laughs> the rest well, of this podcast. I can't stop listening, though. You can't stop listening. No, but I can't. I, I other people, <laughs> people not speaking into microphones and listening through earbuds, they can stop listening if they want to. Yeah. Um, but I recommend you stay because maybe, uh, maybe we'll, maybe I will turn you around on Wes Anderson. Yeah, you, James might. We'll see. Um, before we jump into all that, we need to remind you: there's a video version of this podcast on YouTube. Go check it out youtube.com search cinerealis find us there subscribe and watch while you listen you could also support us on patreon patreon.com slash cinerealis support the podcast get extra after show audio uh last week was a good one too we had a pretty heated debate i would say 
about a potential future show topic. <laughs> oh, yes. Yeah, actually, and this debate has continued on to the Discord channel. Yes. Um, so if you're a Patreon supporter and you're behind on your listening, just skip to like the most recent one, uh, the one for episode 603, because uh, there's a good deal of arguing, which is fun. And also we need people's opinions because we have a decision point to make at some point. And uh, I, yeah, and I, feedback. I would say right now the opinions we're getting are more landing on the side of me and Zach. Mm, I don't know. I see him closer oh. to you than me or Zach. Okay. If that makes sense. At I least in the so. Discord. I, I guess Zach and I had similar, we had similar stakes on this. Like you presented your idea, which you were very hard on. This is how it is. Sure. And Zach and I had caveats that were similar. But yeah, maybe maybe the caveats are falling more in my favor right now. Yeah, I mean, most people listening have no idea what we're talking about, so I don't want to get too far into it. But I saw it more as I gave in to the idea that maybe I was being too harsh and I liked your yours was one I could live with. And on the Zach side, he either didn't want to commit to anything painful. Yes. (laughs) Or he wanted some way out of it. And that thing couldn't be that painful. That's yes. Maybe. Yeah. So to me, your proposition was like still painful enough, hooky enough to run with it. Whereas Zach uh, just didn't want to sacrifice anything, really. Zach wanted for the it most part. Yeah. Right. Yeah. <laughs> so anyway, uh, I don't know if that entices you to go listen, but if you're not a Patreon supporter, go check it out. I kind of feel like I want to just drop that episode in the Discord too, even if you're not like, like a Patreon listener. Do you think Patreons would be upset if I did that? I mean, I think if you're trying to sell the Patreon and then also telling people this might be in Discord, then <laughs> I'm not saying I'm going to do that. I was asking you <laughs> for your opinion. Do you think that's unfair to Discord members? I mean, I mean it's been members? a week since it's been out or yeah, to Patreon I, members. I, no, I, I don't think it's no, it, it's it's not terribly unfair to Patreon members. We you there's definitely been precedents of past Patreon shows making it to the main feed. Sure. And it's not like we're dropping everything that's on Patreon. Like Patreon is still pretty exclusive to its content. So I think if we every now and then drop a Patreon episode to the public in some way, shape or form, that's not, um, you know, going to offend our Patreon or, you know, go back on their financial obligations. Okay. So if you're in the discord or you want to be in the discord, contact us and we will drop the patreon episode in there and you can watch it even if you're not a patreon listener or supporter and, and then you can also get a taste in. for what we do over there yeah yes but oh, sure. yeah if, if you watch it on discord please weigh in because we need we need your feedback yep also we need your feedback on apple Podcasts. leave us a review five stars only we'd appreciate that or send us an email to hey guys at cinerealist.com we'd appreciate that as well all that being said Let's talk Wes Anderson's Roll Doll short films, which is available on Netflix right now. We're going to get into it right after this clip. Henry died last year, age 63, from a pulmonary embolism. He saw it coming quite literally, but was very much at peace. He'd been following his plan for just over 20 years. He'd made 644 million pounds. He'd left 21 well-established, well-run children's hospitals and orphanages all around the world, administered and financed from Lausanne by John Winston and his staff. 
his work was complete. That was a clip from the wonderful story of Henry Sugar, one of four short films that dropped recently on Netflix, directed by Wes Anderson, based on uh, a short story or a piece of writing from a famed children's author. Yeah. Roald Dahl. Uh, all four shorts are more aimed at adult audiences, I would say, than his children's work. Yeah, I these are not like Fantastic Mr. Fox, which is also Roald Dahl. Right. But that felt more kid-friendly. Like, that's the one Wes Anderson movie that my son has seen. Mm-hmm. Whereas sure. these are, yeah, I would say like kids could enjoy these, but they're definitely more adult-oriented. Yeah. I mean, there's a couple that I would not show to a kid. For sure. I think it depends on the kid. Yeah, probably. And how young. Yeah, you know, correct. Although there's some that kids would be like, why am I watching? This? <laughs> <laughs> anyway, um, so yeah, uh, Netflix gave Wes Anderson some money to adapt some Roald Dahl uh, pieces of writing into short films. He did that. He did that in his way, I would say. And we watched all four of them, and we're here to talk about them. Let's get into the first one. This is a a short film titled The Swan. It's 17 minutes long, stars Asa Jennings and Rupert Friend. And it's about, according to IMDb, a small, brilliant boy is tormented by two large, idiotic bullies. I mean, that's the plot for sure. I think the presentation is maybe just as important as the plot here. Yes. I, 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 so as I'm going to talk about these shorts, especially these four, mm-hmm. the only four we're going to talk about, I'm definitely going to be discussing the story itself, which is you know more in the hands of Roald Dahl, mm-hmm. but also how did Wes Anderson adapt and present this story for the screen? And those are kind of the two things I was considering I was, as I was watching all four of these. Sure. There's a couple conventions that Wes Anderson gives this series of four that run through all of them. Why don't we talk about those first? One that one they're in his style, his storybook dollhouse style of storytelling. And and I would say having consumed a lot of Wes Anderson in the last week, Mm -hmm. they're in what I would say his, his latter, his recent style, because He's evolved as a filmmaker. Yes. And like definitely in the last couple films, they've become way more Mm dollhousey. And this movie, this movie or these shorts aren't even trying to um, pretend like they they exist in an actual, in a real world. Like Mm -hmm. they are framed as they're on sets. There are moving parts of the set. There's stage hands that deliver props. Mm -hmm. So you're definitely watching a, a very stylized version of Wes Anderson doing himself, which is odd to say. Sure. Another through line is occasionally they will cut to a representation of Roald Dahl played by Ray Fiennes Mm -hmm. in his writing room, I guess that was supposed to be. And he'll just narrate to the camera for a few minutes, some piece of context or something like that out of nowhere. On top of that, all these stories are told by characters on screen narrating to camera. Mm -hmm. And then they will interact with the other characters on the screen. But there's usually one narrator 
per short who is talking directly to camera and even giving stage directions, which I found weird sometimes. Mm-hmm. Like, like uh, you know, a character who's playing a doctor will say something like, I gasped and then we'll gasp to the other characters, which I found to be a little weird or they'll be like, that's great, he said. And it right. just, I, I, <laughs> I understand why Wes Anderson does that because he is who he is. Mm-hmm. And like he's presenting these as stories that are being told to the viewer. But it, it was weird to have all those narrative um, or the, all those written styles left into this spoken script. Mm-hmm. I also found it curious that when they release these, as best I can tell, there's no specific order in which to watch them. Like, yeah. at least publicly. Like, it, it's not like they had a title called, like, Wes Anderson's Rolled Dolls short films, and then here was episode one, two, three, and four, and, mm-hmm. you know, this is the order they we generally want you to watch them. There's nothing like that. They just kind of look like random video clips on the service, I would say. I think they were released individually in an order, so like they weren't all dropped at once, but I mm-hmm. do not know what that order was. Hmm. What what order did you watch these in? I watched The Swan first, then okay. Ratcatcher, then Poison, then the longer one, The Wonderful Story of Henry Sugar. Okay. How did you watch I, them? I did Poison first, okay. then Ratcatcher, then The Swan, and then Henry Sugar. So almost similar to you. I like your version better because the swan, I feel, which is the first one we're going to talk about, Mm -hmm. has the most of the stagehand type stuff. (laughs) And that was kind of shocking to me to get acclimated to the fact that like you're telling the story of this young boy who's being picked on by bullies and you have like the narrator is like the older version of the boy and you got the boy in the background and you got these stagehands coming in, filling in as the bully occasionally, but also like giving the boy props and like right. helping be a stagehand. So it didn't confuse me very long, but it took a little bit for me to get used to the fact that this is what it was going to be. Yes. The the swan is also told in an outdoor setting, mm-hmm. which is very much a studio with props. And mm-hmm. I think watching... um poison's a little easier because poison takes place indoors so even though it still is in a studio with like moving walls and dropping curtains it feels mm-hmm. because it's all it's, it's all uh inorganic anyway it doesn't feel as weird whereas to watch the swan and they're, they're going through like i don't know hedgerows or like rows of corn and they're all mm-hmm. like these kind of blocky handmade rows of corn that don't look anything like you know real life sure yeah. Um, that being said, what did you think of the Swan as a story? Yeah. So as a story, I was into it at first because mm-hmm. so, I, you know, like, right, again, you don't. These are weird because, especially this one, there's so little action happening. So much of it is is a Rupert Friend. Is that his name? Mm-hmm. He, he's the, this ad- the right, older he's this, narrator. Yeah, the older narrator. He's this adult retelling this story. Mm-hmm. And like so, a, a lot of the times you can just kind of close your eyes. Like you, you, you could watch these without actually watching them and just listen to them and still get mm-hmm. the full story. But you're missing the Wes Anderson touches if that's your thing. Um. Anyway, so story wise, I was into it at first because I, I was kind of intrigued by the story about this, you know, young boy who's being chased by these bullies who are, are rather cruel. These aren't like we're gonna give you noogies. Like these bullies mm-hmm. have a gun and are threatening this kid with a gun, 
and it escalates from there. And I know for me, as it escalated and got crueler and crueler, I just enjoyed the story less because I just felt I felt bad for this kid. And yeah. I just I just found like these bullies just to be terrible people. And mm-hmm. I was no longer interested in what level of cruelty could these boys achieve. Yeah, I had a similar uh, viewing experience that I was I was kind of intrigued by what was going on. The train section seemed uh, cruel, but also like survivable in the way that he survives. And <laughs> you know what I yeah. mean? I was kind of like it like to me, that's like a stand by me level cruelty type of thing. Yeah. Um, whereas once he's climbing trees and having a gun pointed at him, I was just kind of like, okay, is this going to end in like a child murder? <laughs> exactly. Like they've already put this kid's life in danger with the whole train situation. Right. And then that wasn't enough for them. Like, like it, you really got the impression that these bullies wanted to see this kid die, which is just yeah. awful. Should we, should this be spoiler? Like are these are so short. How do you not talk about how they end? I think it's, I mean, I don't think we have to necessarily discuss the ending of it. Okay. But I, I think we can definitely say that we are going to discuss maybe some of the plot elements of these. Sure. Just because, I, th- because they are so short, it's hard to be like, oh yeah, it's a story about cruel bullies. What'd you think? Right. I think, um, I think I didn't really have this issue with the other three, but with this one, I maybe had a bigger issue with the writing of the story. I would say how so I'm assuming that Wes Anderson is sticking to the text (laughs) just because it seems like that's what he's doing here. I haven't read the original writing, so I couldn't tell you for sure, but the end of this one, uh, to be vague was just like, okay, it was fantastical, right? It felt like the rest of the story was very grounded in what could have been a reality. And then right at the end, it was kind of like, Oh, right. He's a children's author. Right. (laughs) Because this feels like the ending of a children's book. It's no longer like a story that actually happened type of thing. I would imagine that these are verbatim tellings of these short stories. I would be surprised if he changed any bit of dialogue or of narration Mm -hmm. and then is just adding his visual style to these stories. I wouldn't be surprised if that's true as well. Which is where you get like, you know, some of those weird narrator interlude type things. Yeah, where they're cutting to camera and then cutting back to the other cast. Right. Um, I'll say that this one uh, was not my favorite. Uh, this was not my least favorite, mm-hmm. but it was not. Yeah, it was not my favorite either. Okay. It started out fine. Like, I guess visually, I liked this one. Maybe the most of the three shorts, mm-hmm. even though it is so artificial, there is little things like when he's laying on the train tracks mm-hmm. to get the effect of the train tracks going off into the distance. They're raised ever so slightly behind him. So that way you can kind of see them coming to that that single point perspective. Mm-hmm. I thought that was like point. that was a, exactly I thought that was a really clever thing to do instead of just having it be a flat, a flat train track just to raise him behind the character a little bit. Mm-hmm. Um, at one point, he's like walking down stairs and the train tracks kind of follow him down the stairs. I thought right. that was visually really interesting. 
So yeah, I, I like visually as much as Wes Anderson can uh, be too perfect and cute for me. I thought this one kind of worked. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I think my biggest issue with this one was just that it was pretty humorless to me. Yeah, it's just kind of like okay. So we're going to watch a kid get tortured. <laughs> you know what I mean? At least that's what it was giving me. Yeah. Um, whereas the next one that I watched um, had some humor in it, which is probably why it's, you know, a notch above, a small notch above. Before we move to that, though, what did you letterbox the swan? I gave it three stars. I gave it a two and a half. Okay. I Pretty was close. between a two and a half and a three, but I, I landed on the three on this one. Nice. Uh, the next one I watched was The Rat Catcher. Same also year. coming in at 17 minutes. Mm-hmm. This short starred Rafe Fines as the Rat Man, also Richard Aode and Rupert Friend again. You'll see that a, a bunch of these actors are in multiples of these. Yes. Um, and the IMDb plot synopsis for the rat catcher was in an English village, a reporter and a mechanic listen to a rat catcher, explain his clever plan to outwit his prey. So this one I found to be like pretty humorous compared to the swan. (laughs) Like there's, there's a lot in here. Uh, not only in the writing, but also in just Ray Fine's performance as the rat uh-huh. man, who is a guy who literally is a guy. He's an exterminator who's, you know, trying to help them with their rat issue. And, um, and he kind of resembles a rat, I would yes. say has rat like qualities, even though he looks like a human. Um, and also prides himself in being able to think like a rat in order to outsmart them essentially. And so, um, yeah, I preferred this one over the swan just because I, I find, uh, Ray finds funny in this. I also thought Richard Aode had a couple funny lines. Mm-hmm. He's the only, he had a line in this that I'm not recalling exactly what it was, but he had a line in this where I actually laughed out loud. Oh, <laughs> which was the only time in all four of the shorts that that happened. Really? Okay. Yeah. And normally Wes Anderson movies, at least the good ones, I laugh out loud multiple times. <laughs> I'll be curious to see what you, your the good ones are for you when we rank these. Sure. Yeah. What did you think of The Rat Catcher? This was my least favorite of the three. Okay. Um, I will agree with you that I liked Ray Fine's character and performance. Mm-hmm. And his character felt to me the most like a Wes Anderson type of character. Who's like like this? It's a character who's a little odd, but he's very specific about what he does, and really encompasses his character. Mm-hmm. And so I could see why Wes Anderson could have been drawn to this story, just because I'm sure he sees his own style in it. Uh, that being said, I think visually this was the bore mo- the most boring of the three. Hmm. It all takes place for the most part in like this little town square. Mm-hmm. There's not a lot to look at and this one i think suffered for me the most from it being narrated and being more tell don't show and like this is a this is a visual medium so let me give you an example there's a moment where ray fines puts a rat and a ferret down his shirt Mm -hmm. again there are no actual well there's a rat later but 
when he does this, he's miming everything. Like he's pretending to hold a rat. He puts it down his shirt. He's pretending to hold a ferret, puts down his shirt. There's nothing in his hands. I, I love mm. this one probably is the most miming of, every, of everything. And then Richard Aoni goes on, he's a narrator, to describe this voracious battle between these two creatures within his shirt and describing like the thrashing and the movement. And then Ray Fiennes is literally standing there staring at the camera. <laughs> With like his shirt's not moving at all. Right, right. Nothing's happening. All right. Sure. And, and and at this moment, I'm like, Wes Anderson, you're making a movie right now. Like, <laughs> like <laughs> give me something. Like, don't just have Ray Fine staring at the camera while nothing's happening. While this I get this description of this whole battle going on within his shirt. See, to me, uh, I understand your perspective and I I don't deny uh the that's an interpretation of it. I w- I saw it as a little charming that they didn't okay. go with anything farther than that because I think they were trying to keep it to like what you could accomplish as a, like a stage play, right? On some level, and if, like you wouldn't, I guess you could gimmick up somebody's shirt to like make it look like two animals were fighting in their shirt on a stage. But um, yeah, I, I took it as anything they couldn't do, you couldn't do on a stage play. They weren't going to do here. How much funnier would it have been if he mimes putting them in there and then mm-hmm. a stagehand goes behind him and like grabs two arms sticking on the back of his shirt and just like mm-hmm. moves two ping pong balls around under his shirt? Sure. Right. Like, I, like just I wouldn't have been against it. Yeah. Like it, it's still yeah. within his I'm cute. Wes Anderson. Look what, you know, haha, look what we're doing. <laughs> sure. Like it still would have been his style in these movies, which are not trying to present themselves as real life anyway. Mm hmm. I don't know. It, it, like that was the moment where I was like, "What am I watching right now?" And sure. So, yeah, to me, this was just the one um, uh, of these two. <laughs> yep. Where you had like a very specific performance from somebody, and um, and uh, and that performance kind of worked for me. Yep. And so it's it sucked me in, even though I I do agree, like the logistics of the Swan were far more intense than pretty much this single location to really only two different shots. Um, I mean, there's a shot from like inside the sewer and stuff like that, right. but for the but, most part, you just get the sides of the of these two buildings and their opposite view of the haystack type thing. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah. I mean, I can't say that I'll remember this long term, but I, I, it was a good 17 minutes for me. Yeah. It's only 17 minutes, so I didn't hate it, mm-hmm. but Sure. Not my favorite of the four. Yeah. All right. What did you letterbox the rat catcher? This one I gave it two and a half. This one I gave a three. We flipped. All right. <laughs> we flipped. Still very Good. close though. <laughs> it's not like one of us likes one by miles more than the other. No, no. Neither of us <laughs> have been blown sure. away by either of these yet. Okay. The third of the shorter shorts. Of the, of the shorts what, that I watched was titled Poison. Also 17 minutes long. I found it interesting that the three shorter shorts were all exactly the same length. That was interesting to me. And In minutes. Yeah, yep. I, I don't know yep. once you add seconds if they were exactly, but um, Poison starred Dev Patel, Benedict Cumberbatch, and Ben Kingsley. According to IMDb, the plot synopsis for Poison was... When a poisonous snake slithers onto an Englishman's stomach in India, his associate and a doctor race to save him. So, yeah. Um, Benedict Cumberbatch, 
He's a guy. He's laying in bed. He's uh, frozen stiff, I would say, with mm-hmm. fear because he believes that there's a snake under the book that's resting on his stomach. And if he gets bit by the snake, he will uh, for sure die. And so Dev Patel, uh, his character, discovers him, finds out why he won't move out of bed, <laughs> why he's so scared, and calls the doctor, played by Ben Kingsley, and they come up with a, you know, a solution to this problem. Yes. And, uh, yeah, shenanigans ensue, I would say. <laughs> uh, what did you think of Poison? Do you want to go first or you want me to on this one? <laughs> you know, I'll, I'll go first on this okay. one. I'll, I'll have you go first on Henry Sugar, the longer That's one. Fine. Yeah. I'm okay, um, whatever. This is the first one I watched. Okay. So, for me, there is a, a, a slight calibration for the first couple of minutes as I was getting used to because I, I did not know what the style was going to be. Mm-hmm. So this one I'm realizing, oh, this is going to be narrated to the camera. We're going to be w- living within these moving sets that are, mm-hmm. you know, like, like kind of like watching a stage play as the walls are moving and cranes are coming up and down. Um, but I got used to that pretty quickly. So that, that didn't bother me too much. Uh, I liked the story of this one. Mm-hmm. I mean, it's a very simple story about, right, like, as you said, this there's this guy, he's laying here, He there's a snake on his chest, he can't move, and two characters must hatch this elaborate plot to save this man's life. And I thought it was interesting performances from Benedict Cumberbatch, who pretty much had to lay there the whole time, mm-hmm. and like he couldn't do a ton of big reactions because if he moved, that would, you know, feign his character. So he had to do a lot of eye acting, I would say, a lot of face acting. <laughs> Mm-hmm. which I thought was pretty good. Um, I liked Dev Patel. And then Ben Kingsley, who I haven't seen a lot of recently, but I really enjoyed Ben Kingsley's character in this. Where the story got weird for me was in the last couple minutes after they pull off their plan to save his mm-hmm. life. Um, Benedict Cumberbatch's character has this reaction to the doctor that seems very, I, I guess, racist or colonialist at the time. Because this story does take place in India and you've got Benedict Cumberbatch playing the Englishman and then Dev Patel and Ben Kingsley. I know Dev Patel is from India. Ben Kingsley is English, but I don't know what his um, ancestry is before that. So I don't know if he's English mm-hmm. Indian or what exactly. But he's obviously playing an Indian character in this. So th- there, there's kind of this racial commentary that happens at the end of this story. Which seemed out of the blue for me, but maybe at the time when Roald Dahl was writing it or what he had experienced, it seemed more um, presence to him or more pertinence to the era. Mm-hmm. So I, I think like story-wise, that was a little bit of a, a left field for me, but everything sure. else I liked. What nationality was Gandhi? Indian. Yeah. I mean, Ben Kingsley played Gandhi. In yeah. The- film gandhi so i mean but you know uh john wayne played <laughs> sure uh, i'm not saying name? he's indian i'm just saying he's played indian before yeah i i want to say i mean again he's british but yeah he was born in england i don't know you go ahead and talk about what you thought about poison then i'll jump in from maybe sure. what his background is um i like this one uh probably more than the other two Okay. Um, not by a lot, but by a little. I think probably because the premise was so clear. Mm-hmm. <laughs> like kind of yes. within the first minute, they're like, this is the setup. And now we're going to see how this plays out. Mm-hmm. And uh, and then you had like 
people kind of scheming and coming up with plans and deciding not to do that because of the, this is the various outcomes that could happen. And um, Dev kind of like does the first half of the scheming and then he brings the doctor in. And um, and then you've got uh, Benedict Cumberbatch just acting his butt off by not moving, essentially. Right. <laughs> so that was – it's an interesting – challenge for an actor and um yeah it's it's rare to see benedict benedict cumberbatch in anything where he's like um restricted i would say not that he's like overacting or anything it's just you know an interesting challenge for any actor much less a leading man i would say to be that put in that compromised a position and uh yeah i just enjoyed kind of the silliness and wackiness of this i never once unlike with um with the swan i never once thought this was going to go dark on me no not at all i figured it would have some kind of like strange resolution that was fun and i think generally it did that as far as the snake resolution goes i agree yep um yeah i think maybe that that ending the ending the ending to the ending was uh, a carryover from just a old British guy writing this in the late sixties, <laughs> yeah, <laughs> and his lifetime of maybe uh, some prejudice <laughs> against other people, possibly. Um, I could see that for sure. I don't think it was real thick, but it, I could see that for no, sure. No, it, it was. It didn't feel dated. It was more just commentary that I was not picking up on because. Mm-hmm. It's commentary for events that happened a hundred years ago. I'm not so familiar with. Sure. Yeah. And I think the Ben Kingsley character too, also has a little bit of perspective on like what people think of him versus what yes. he is yeah. type of thing. So I don't know if Wes Anderson baked that into the interpretation or if that's how it's supposed to read. But I, I do think that was in there a little bit right there at the very end. Um, but yeah, I enjoyed this one probably just because it seemed like everybody on screen was having a lot of fun. Yep. <laughs> and it seemed like the one that had the least amount of n- narration from the actors. And also the premise was just so incredibly clear when you only have 17 minutes to tell a story, um, getting right to it and de- clearly defining the stakes here. Um, I think this one probably does the best of the 17 minute shorts in this collection. I would agree. This was of the three shorter ones. This was my favorite. Nice. Yeah. Same here. What did you letterbox it? Before that, really quickly, okay. Sir Ben Kingsley, mm-hmm. born Krishna Pandit Banji. Banji. Okay. So Indian name. He's actually born December 31st, same as my wife. So they share a birthday. Uh, he was born in England to an English mother and an Indian father. Okay. So he is Indian. Nice. Yeah doesn't completely shock me because i he played gandhi <laughs> so right, yeah no i'm I mean, not saying <laughs> back then when gandhi came out they couldn't have gotten a non-indian they could have for sure right but i mean why would you people would be up in arms if you didn't get somebody with some indian in them well i mean didn't I ashton kutcher play or no who's the guy who played indian in a uh, short circuit two what's his fisher name? stevens fisher stevens yes Sure, but that was exact. Short I mean, that was like of a, a comedy about a robot. Gandhi is like, <laughs> you know what I mean? For like Indian culture. Yeah. He's like one of the guys. <laughs> yeah. All right. 
Okay. Um, so Poison was our favorite of the 17 minute ones, but there's Correct. one short left. This one is uh, considerably longer than those three. This one clocks in at 37 minutes. It's titled The Wonderful Story of Henry Sugar. Uh, it stars Benedict Cumberbatch, Dev Patel, Ben Kingsley, and Richard Aote. Mm-hmm. And the official IMDb plot synopsis for the wonderful story of Henry Sugar is chronicles a variety of stories, but the main one follows Henry Sugar, who is able to see through objects and predict the future with the help of a book he stole. Uh, yeah. Sure. I'll, I mean, this one steal the book. I don't think he stole it, but yeah, he found uh, this one's kind of st- told in two parts where it's like the first half is like telling how he got the idea for Mm -hmm. the second half of the story. (laughs) Yeah. This is two shorter shorts made into one longer short. Sure. Although I'm pretty sure it was written as one story. No, no, yeah, 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 it it is. is. The first half of the story is giving backstory for some reason. Correct. Yeah. Um, what'd you think of this one? Would you like to go first? Uh, sure. Thank just you. because yeah why not um i like this one the most probably because it just gave us more time to sink into some of these characters and um and kind of uh yeah just more time to let things flesh out more <laughs> I, <would> say. <laughs> I i do think poison is probably a better story a tighter story but this one um yeah just gave us more to chew on for the most part i thought uh pretty much everybody in it was pretty awesome i didn't even recognize richard aode until like his maybe second or third shot on screen he's he plays like the yogi towards the end yeah yeah oh he and he's in like full beard and full beard and body hair yes like they're showing kind of his top half because he's got a like a robe off one shoulder Mm -hmm. so his other side of his chest and his shoulder and his arm is exposed and he had so much body hair. <laughs> like he kind of looked like a werewolf, I would say. <laughs> um yeah, he was practically unrecognizable and they gave him no lines, so that helped too to as far as like not being able to recognize him. But um but yeah, Benedict Cumberbatch um the short starts and he kind of tells the story uh of how uh Hmm. who tells the story does dev tell the story i think dev patel is the narrator right again yeah i, I don't think benedict cumberbatch is narrating sure i think so it's the, dev patel the gist of the story is benedict cumberbatch figures out how to it's not even read into the future no he, he figures out how to see objects that a normal eye can't see Right, but like, you're like, also seeing the future. No, no, no. He can't see the future. No, he can because even when he's like reading the cards, he's reading, flipping the card over. No, he's reading the other side of the card. That, so that's what he can do. He he figured out how to read the the other side of an object. So like, right, like, he he would see the back of the card, but could, was able to read the front of the card, which was facing away from him. I understand that's what he was doing in that moment, but the way the power 
is presented in the flashback is like it's not necessarily just seeing the backs of cards it's like you can tell when some when a cart is about to hit you you know what i mean that's not seeing that's seeing the future not no 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 he's not seeing the future What, what what ben kingsley's character is able to do was he was able to see without his eyes like that's the power he was able to use his other senses to see. It's it, kind of like Dare. Remember Daredevil, the TV show or the sure. comic book? They would show like Daredevil could. I mean, I'm not saying he has superpowers, but in this card, in this story, Daredevil basically, has superpowers. Hmm? No, no, no. I'm not saying Ben Kingsley. They never explain oh. how the power works. Ben Kingsley's character. Sure. Um, but essentially, he has figured out through meditation how to train himself to see with his others to see without his eyes. Mm-hmm. So he's not predicting that a cart's coming. He can just walk down the hallway blindfolded and he still knows there, there, there's a cart there because of whatever method he used to train himself. They, again, they never explain the power itself. You just know that it's done through meditation and sure. years of it. So yeah, I, I don't. I never got that he could see the future. I just got that he could see without seeing. Gotcha. Yeah. So in the, so in the first half of the short, you're seeing the story of Ben Kingsley developing this uh this power i would say yeah he's the skill he's discovered by this doctor played by dev patel Mm -hmm. it's kind of like a story within a story like henry sugar is reading this book that is written by dev patel who is recounting the story of gandhi's care or not Gandhi's character (laughs) ben kingsley's character on how he developed this power right yeah and and so the first half of the short is telling Ben Kingsley's story of learning how to use this power, yes. this skill. Uh, and so about halfway through it, the Benedict Cumberbatch character who's reading about Ben Kingsley <laughs> discovering the skill uh, kind of shuts the book and decides, well, I'm going to teach myself how to do that because I want to win at the casino. Correct. <laughs> so, yes. so he spends many years practicing and uh and learning how to do this on his own in order to cheat at cards essentially. Yep. And uh and then he cheats at cards. And he finds that winning at cards through cheating is uh there's no satisfaction in it. Right, cuz you know if you're going to win or not. Right. Yeah. yeah, all the all the risk is gone, so all the fun is gone from it. And, and so, they set this character up as being a guy who loves to gamble. He loves to bet. He loves mm-hmm. to make anything a game. Like, he lives for the chase of the win. Mm-hmm. Then, um, towards the end, he finds another reason to live life, I would say. We'll yes. leave that out, exactly yep. what that might be. But uh, since he's kind of lost his purpose as far as gambling or cheating at gambling, he finds... Uh, a new way to use this skill that's more satisfying. Um, yeah, and I, I, I like this one mostly because everybody. I thought the story was great. Yep. It was generally easy to understand, and everybody on screen seemed like they were having a lot of fun. It really sold me when Benedict Cumberbatch was coming in and out of the scene dressed in different. That costumes. was my favorite scene. Yeah. So <laughs> right. this movie or this short has multiple. I'm not called wonders. I'm calling them long takes. Sure. Okay. Cause I know wonders a, a pejorative word on this podcast. So <laughs> or trigger only word. for you, you're the only one that <laughs> is bothered by it. Yeah. So like th- there are moments where 
they're telling the story and, and Ben and Cumberbatch's character is kind of walking through the cities, going in and out of buildings. And that's all these sets that are dropping and opening up kind of like a, a stage play. But those mm-hmm. were all long shots with the, where the camera was not cutting away. And it was just a lot of coordination of, um, of the sets. I assume it, it, it was, it was, those were all wonders. Mm-hmm. Um, but then, yeah, there's that scene where he is talking about his travels and he keeps stepping off stage and coming back in different, I say stage here, it's out of frame and mm-hmm. then comes back immediately in a different costume. Obviously, they had to do cuts. There's no way he did changes that quick. Sure. But but it's so fluid that it works. And the little touch that I noticed was that he has a shadow at all times. And when he steps off sta- off camera, you can still see his shadow and then it follows him back on camera. So I thought that was really clever. It, it kind of gave it that sense of realism. Like, you know that they're cutting, they're stopping the camera. He's changing outfits and he's walking back into frame. Mm-hmm. But by the fact that they use a little CG magic to leave the shadow there, just kind of made it a little bit more immersive for me. Sure. Interesting. Um, I also liked that this one was generally uh I don't know if the word is kind hearted, but wholesome, <laughs> like where, where the story ends up was yes. pretty wholesome. <laughs> I agree. I, I think this is my favorite story of them because uh-huh. this Henry sugar character had such an arc of uh-huh. learning this power and then using the power and then saying, huh, what else can I do with this? Like this, this is, this is give me what I need. Sure. How can I use this for power to fulfill my, myself, my soul, however you want to put it. Yeah, maybe the only thing it was missing was like a resolution to Ben Kingsley's character. Like you just kind of you just kind of leave it where Dev Patel's doctor left his writing. Well, doesn't he just end up okay, spoiler, okay, stop if you don't care. <laughs> or stop if you care or skip ahead. Is it doesn't he die? Who, Ben Kingsley? Yeah. I don't remember. Yeah, cuz I I think that's in the story is that Dev Patel is recounting this story okay you know ben kingsley comes to this hospital he retells his story he walks away all blindfolded ben kingsley finds this or devitel finds this amazing and goes to see his next performance and then finds out that he died and then blames himself for okay yeah not protecting this man you're right you're right i remember that now yep um yeah okay well, if you just heard that, I still would watch it. I don't think it's it doesn't. That's ruin not the gist. Those. That's no. not the gist of the short for sure. No, it doesn't ruin it. Um, yeah, I I like this one a lot. Uh, I think it was the most charming. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> and the most fleshed out. I mean, just by nature, being more than twice as long as the other ones individually. Um, and also, I thought you got the best of. At least Benedict Cumberbatch, Dev Patel, and Ben Kingsley. They were great in Poison yep. uh, as a trio. But here, I think they just had a little more to chew on. Um, and uh, yeah, and seeing Richard Aode as a as a yogi was hilarious <clears throat> to me. I, I think this is some of the best use of the Wes Anderson cute dollhouse. Okay. Because... It, he was using it more to either, either a there's a great scene we talked about with, with the costume changes, which was fun, mm-hmm. or he was using it to move the character through through uh, through space mm-hmm. without actually moving the character. And I thought that was kind of fun as the sets were changing around Benedict Cumberbatch. Mm-hmm. That all seemed to kind of work for me. 
I also felt like this one had the least amount of stage hand interference type of stuff. Yeah, there wasn't people handing them props or right. yeah. Or or there wasn't a lot of miming either in this one. Like there were actual props and things like that. And because of the framing of the first half being a story read by Benedict Cumberbatch, there seemed like less of like on screen narrators talking to the camera on this one. Yes. Maybe there wasn't less. It just felt like less to me. I want to say when Dev Patel was in the hospital room with Rich Aote and keep saying Gandhi, Ben Kingsley, Mm -hmm. that had a lot of like Dev Patel turning to the camera. Sure. But I don't remember it once it was more of Benedict Cumberbatch's story. It seemed more, it was just like voiceover narration and not on screen narration. Right. I mean, it's because Devontel was not in a lot of those scenes with Benedict Cumberbatch. Makes sense. All right. Anything else for the wonderful story of Henry Sugar? Before I give my letterbox reading on this, do you want to know what's crazy? I don't know what's crazy. This is not crazy. (laughs) If you go just by letterbox rating, this Uh is my favorite thing Wes Anderson's ever done. Wow. Do, yeah. do you think that's true or just your letterbox ratings are slightly off I th- over time? I think I maybe need to re-examine some Wes Anderson movies, but as we get into the list, I don't think he's ever blown me away. Okay. So. Fair enough. As of right now, this is my favorite Wes Anderson project ever. At what letterbox rating? At four stars. Four stars. Wow. Yeah. yeah. I give this a three and a half. Okay. All right, that's it for the four Roald Dahl-based short films directed by Wes Anderson on Netflix. Go check those out if you get the time. Um, if they if they were could only watch one, let's quick rank them. Let's do okay. that. Let's do that, yeah. Let's quick rank them. I would go um, uh, number four, The Swan. Mm-hmm. Least, least liked that. Then The Rat Catcher then Poison, then The Wonderful Story of Henry Sugar, which is also the order in which I watch them. <laughs> I'm Interesting. realizing. Interesting. <laughs> How about you? I would go number four, Ratcatcher, three, Swan, two, Poison, and one, The Wonderful Story of Henry Sugar. Nice. I think if you, if you only watch one short, definitely watch Henry Sugar. I think that's, mm-hmm. wor- we agree, it's, it's our favorite one. I think it's worth everyone's sure. time. It's 39 minutes. It's an easy 39 minutes. Um, I think if you want to get a taste of what the shorts are like, probably Poison's the best one. Mm-hmm. Um, and if you really dug that, then you could probably watch the other two and you'd find something in them. Exactly. Yeah. I, yeah. I think Swan's the visually most daring, maybe is the best best way to put it. Sure. Like yeah. if you like the Wes Anderson style, you'll probably like the Swan just visually wise. But Yeah, maybe. I don't know. I like the, I like his presentation and that one just kind of was a little overload overload for me with the, with the, not only his specific style, but also like all the little touches he introduced with like stage hands and stuff like that. I was like, Oh, this isn't just a dollhouse. This is like a, a dollhouse explaining a dollhouse. Right. And then there's also, he throws in a lot of stop animation into mm-hmm. the swan. Also, we didn't mention that all there's stop animation in the swan and in the rat catcher. Yep. I don't think there's any stop animation in Henry Sugar. I kept waiting for that to be stop animation in Poison. 
but never went there. They could they could have done one thing if they had a uh, more right. animals in it. We can say that's yeah. what I thought they were going to do. Yeah, and exactly. They didn't do that. Yeah, yeah. All right. Uh, let's get into our top ten Wes Anderson movies. Wes Anderson has eleven feature films. Uh, I've seen all eleven. Kyle has seen. 10 of the 11. And how many did you watch this week? Um, I watched two Wes Anderson movies for the first time this week on top of four shorts. So I've consumed (laughs) six Wes Anderson projects in the last like five days. Nice. It's, it's been a lot. Awesome. But you got to 10. You have an official top 10. I have an official top 10. Um, and maybe I'll have a top 11 someday. I, awesome. To be honest, before I see my 11th one, I'd rather rewatch some of these on this 10 because maybe I need to give some of these a second chance. I mean, you got to watch one more just to say you've seen all of them, right? Uh, you can't I mean, be that close and not <laughs> ever watch that 11th one. I don't know. You and Zach might give me a choice between two movies and one of them could be <laughs> Asteroid City. So then, <laughs> who knows? Um, speaking of Asteroid City. That's my number 11. <laughs> yeah, I, I remember you not liking this one at all when you did a top 10 last 10. I feel like with Wes Anderson movies, um, the ones that are really good for me, for my taste, um, I can attach myself to them pretty easily. The ones that I don't particularly like the first time out, I will drag my heels on rewatching them. Okay. But... The majority of them that I've rewatched, forced myself to rewatch, to rewatch, I've definitely enjoyed them more. Some of them miles more on second viewing. And I think potentially Asteroid City has that potential. Okay. But we won't know until I get to rewatch it. And as it stands right now, I thought (laughs) Asteroid City was extremely, it was a cold movie. It was cold. Okay. That had impressive visuals. It's probably the most strict on the presentation of any of his movies that I've ever seen. As far as like, we're only going to take flat shots of everything and Uh everything's going to look like layers on a set type of thing. Um, But my biggest issue with it wasn't that the presentation was impressive. It's more just that there were a lot of characters and I, didn't give a crap about any of them because they all were like emotionless. Yep. So uh, that's why it's my number 11. What's your number 10? My number 10 is the Darjeeling limited. And I would say that this is the only Wes Anderson movie that I do not like. My number 10 is also the Darjeeling. Okay, limited. Perfect. So we agree. And also I don't like it either. Yeah. Um, This one's Owen Wilson, Adrian Brody, and Jason Schwartzman, who play three brothers, and they're traveling across India via train. I think maybe their father passed away, and that's why they're reunited. Mm -hmm. Um, I found this one to be incredibly boring and felt so long. And this is only 90 minutes. This is one of his shorter (laughs) movies. Mm -hmm. And if you had asked me before I looked up how long was the Darjeeling Limited, I said at least two hours. This movie just dragged for me. Um, I don't. It's. I only saw it the one time, and it was probably around 2007. So it's been a while since I've seen this one. I, again, I've every Wes Anderson movie I've seen once, with the exception of one. So he's not. He's not a director who I revisit often. 
Sure. But yeah, with this one, I, the story I found to be not interesting. Um, I think the movie thinks it's being clever, and it was not clever for me whatsoever. And I, at one point, they get off the train, and that's when the movie got even worse. Like it was, it was fine on the train, and then they get off the train, and it just did not work for me whatsoever. Mm-hmm. Yeah, this is another one that I, I, I think I've seen it twice, and I remember enjoying it more the second time, but still wouldn't say it's a movie I like. Mm-hmm. <laughs> so I'm wondering if. You know, it's probably been another five years since my last attempted rewatch. If I was to put it on again, would it build even more? I don't know. It's probably not fair, but like with Wes Anderson, I would give a movie a third shot for something that I don't prefer. <laughs> you know what I mean? Most directors will not be given that leeway. Yeah. <laughs> or that opportunity. <laughs> I think because Wes Anderson's style is so specific, sometimes you have to watch it twice because the first time you're just kind of taking it in Uh and whether maybe you can't take it all in, like both the visual style and the characters and the storytelling. Mm -hmm. And maybe it's just too much information for our, our small brains, James. Could be. Yeah. Uh, my number nine, can I go number nine? Please. Okay. I want to reverse the same as yours again. My number nine, which this is a first time watch. I watched this last night. The Life Aquatic with Steve Zissou. We didn't match. We did not match there. Okay. Okay. Um, so, yeah, this is, I don't know why I never saw this one. Just never got around to it. Mm-hmm. And it's interesting to watch this. This is kind of, and I would say this is still an earlier Wes Anderson movie. This is his third or fourth movie 2004 i mean the fourth movie sure i mean bottle rockets you're talking like 15 years after his debut so i wouldn't say it's early no bottle rocket was his debut that was right that was was 96 yeah this is 2004 this is only 12 this is eight years later i was thinking 2014 oh no 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 eight years later i mean i'd still i mean if it's your fourth movie is that early well, okay, he is not in full Wes Anderson mode yet. As I think what we describe as Wes Anderson, he hasn't locked yet. in. Right. Like, there is one shot at the beginning where um, uh, Bill Murray is walking from the, the 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 back of a boat to the front of a boat. Sure. And it kind of tracks him, but it's not deadlocked on him. It's, it's just kind of like a normal shot of, like, you know, a, a camera tracking a guy walking across the boat. And if he had right. done that shot now, it would have been, like, almost two-dimensional, like deadlocked on as it followed him across the boat from one end to the other. The way I define it is like he used to occasionally do the dollhouse as a punctuation mark. Which he does in this. At some point, he decided that was the entire movie. Right. So like (laughs) there's a a moment in this where they are walking through, like they first show you the ship and Mm -hmm. it's it's a cutaway and it's cool looking. You're like, oh, that's kind of cool to see this dollhouse cutaway. And then later there's a scene where characters are kind of moving through the entire ship in, in a, a long track. And again, you can see the, you can see the cutaways, you can see the supports, you know that you're watching kind of a, a stage presentation, but it works because it's only that one moment in this movie. Mm-hmm. Whereas you're right now, his movies, everything is the dollhouse cutaway. Mm-hmm. So I, I enjoyed this because I was getting those Wes Anderson moments without it being the entire thing. Mm-hmm. what it, this didn't have for me was characters that work 
Um, and uh, like, I just did not care for the, the uh, Bill Murray character whatsoever. And he's so, like a main character. He is the character in this. Right, yeah. Right. I thought some of the side ones were kind of fun, like Kate Blanchett and, uh, uh, what's it? Willem Dafoe. Mm-hmm. But like the Bill Murray himself, his character, Steve Zissou did not care for Steve Zissou. He was kind of, kind of a jerk and doesn't seem to really learn a ton <laughs> throughout the movie. Sure. So yeah, I, it, it was fine. Megan about an hour in, she was like, I'm bored. I'm going to bed. So she just dipped <laughs> out of it. She, she 45 minutes ruled this one herself, but sure. I kept going with it. Nice. What's your um, number nine? That, sorry. Number that, that, nine? that was a more review just cause I watched it for the first That's time. That's all good. Yeah. My number nine is the French dispatch from just a few years ago. Okay. This is a, uh, this, this is a, what do they call those things? Anthology film yep. where it's like four different stories, um, with this kind of framing device of a newspaper, uh, and, um, people pitching stories and writing stories for the newspaper. And, uh, I think the issue is in its anthologiness, like there's one story in here that I really like, um, the concrete masterpiece, I think is a, a great short within this, which one's the concrete masterpiece. It's the one with the, um, the artist who gets sent to prison. Oh, Benicia del Toro and the French actress whose name I can't remember right now. Leah Sedu. Thank you. Yeah. Yes. Who's a prison guard that he discovers is kind of his muse. Yep. Type of thing. And, uh, and they fall in love and, um, yeah, I, 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 I think that story is very good, but it's one fourth <laughs> of this, of this, you know, full movie. Um, and the other three parts are not necessarily bad. They just did absolutely nothing for me. Not only that, but it probably ended on like the biggest nothing for me. You kind of have this last segment with, um, oh, what's his name? Uh, Jeffrey Bill. Wright. Oh, at the end of it. Oh, yeah. 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 Jeffrey Wright. He's like a journalist um, who has some controversy. I don't know. I don't remember the particulars okay, of that yeah. one. But, um, but yeah, I just, I was not interested in that story at all. And it's kind of the end of it. I think there's like a little wrap up segment about the, newspaper itself but for Mm -hmm. the most part that's the last of the anthology stories and uh yeah just it it ended on like a whimper for me um whereas that uh that artist story uh was kind of more towards the beginning middle of the film so great cast i think if you're a fan of wes anderson or the people that are in his movies then you got to watch this one just to see um, them just kind of come in and out of these short stories. And it's a little bit of like a, um, like a bird watching <laughs> activity, but with actors, you know what I mean? You're just like, Oh, okay. Um, they're in this interesting type of thing. Some of them have very little to do, but they're in there. Uh, anyway, French dispatch, my number nine. Nice. My number eight is Rushmore, and it's here because I do not remember this movie at all. Mm. I saw it 20 years ago in college. Um, you definitely have to rewatch Rushmore. I, def- I have to. Okay. Okay. <laughs> I, I may have watched this on VHS. This is how long ago that I saw this movie. Okay. So sure. on a TV that had a built-in VHS player. 
I mean, it may have been one of the last VHSs you watched because the movie came out in 98. Right. DVD yes. was taking over at that point. So. <laughs> and this may, well, you know, I'm going to say right now, the last VHS I ever watched was Rushmore. <laughs> you don't know that to be true, no. but you're guessing. <laughs> no, no, I, I definitely watched Sound of Music on VHS for a school project and then my VHS player ate the Sound of Music. So, oh, yeah. Okay. I, but we're just gonna we're gonna the hills weren't alive. No, no, the hills were too alive in the VHS <laughs> player. Eats the tape. Anyway, um, yeah. So I think this is the first Jason Schwartzman movie I ever saw, to my knowledge. This might be one of his first movies. Might and be the first one. It might be. All I really remember is Jason Schwartzman plays this student named Max, mm-hmm. who is in love with his teacher, right at a boarding school. Bill Murray is also in love with this teacher who's maybe Bill Murray's like the dean or something like that. Mm-hmm. There's some sort of weird rival rivalry between the two over this woman's affection. And it ends with um, Miss Saigon being performed on stage, which is a very Wes Anderson moment. But I did not know that it was going to be a Wes Anderson moment at the time. Mm-hmm. And that's all I have to say about Rushmore. <laughs> like, I can recap <laughs> okay. it for you. Uh, Rushmore was Jason Schwartzman's first movie. It was. Okay. Okay, mm-hmm. I, I remember the trailers more for this because the trailers had this kind of like weird communist populist thing going on. Sure, the poster too has a little right, bit of the like poster a with the propaganda poster. The, exactly, yeah. Yep. Uh, my number eight was your number nine, The Life Aquatic with Steve. This okay. Year. So we're we're kind of aligned that uh, not my favorite of all of his movies. I will say I like this movie. I enjoy it. I've seen it at least twice. Mm-hmm. Um, and um. Yeah, there's no, there's not much more for me past what it is type of thing. I there's like nothing that makes it fully stand out in my brain. Uh, it probably gets some bonus points just because it's not completely dollhouse style, <laughs> right? Yeah, and so I tend to like those more. But I also have some very dollhouse style movies in, in, higher up on my list, so I don't know. Um, if the story was stronger, it would definitely be higher. For sure. From a visual perspective, if we were just ranking the visuals, it would be higher. Yes. But the story kind of lets it down for me. Yeah. My number eight. Uh, my number seven is your previously mentioned number nine, The French Dispatch. Okay. I had we're, trouble We're very aligned on these low movies. We are so far. Yeah. I think yeah. maybe Rushmore might be the outlier for you sure. versus me. Yeah. Yeah. Um, this one has moved on my list. This is anywhere between number five and nine as I was making this list. Mm-hmm. And then it ended up at seven. And I think why I was having trouble placing it is because the same reasons you had to say, this movie is very uneven. Where it has some great moments like the um, that, that first story with Benicia Del Toro and Leah Sedu, mm-hmm. I think was the best one. Sure. I just remember there was a Timothy Chalamet story in this one about like the French, like French revolutionaries, which I completely forgot about. I don't remember it at all. Even yeah, after I don't remember reading it. the description. <laughs> um, <laughs> there, I liked the Jeffrey Wright performance. Maybe not the story. Okay. But his performance itself, he was kind of doing a take on James Baldwin, mm-hmm. who was a, a famous author and speaker. Um, and I, so I kind of like how, what he was doing with that character, but I don't remember the story at all. And then I think there's a, a part with like Kate Blanchett wearing weird teeth talking about art or something like that. Mm-hmm. But my, my, or it could be Tilda Swinton. I don't know. I'm not even sure which actor, <laughs> actress it was. By far, my favorite part of this movie was when Owen Wilson is doing a quick tour of whatever town they're in. 
Um, mm-hmm. Oh, it's uh, Anyui. It was you know, very cute of um, Wes Anderson to call it out Anyui. Sure. And he, he's like on a bicycle, but the whole scenery is moving behind him. Again, it, it's very like stage play. There's characters interacting with him, kind of whipping by. But I thought it was so clever how it was staged. Mm-hmm. And then the rest of the movie kind of let me down from there. So <laughs> it started sure. strong, even though it started like my favorite part of it was maybe the most dollhousey part of it. But it works so well to like give you this background of this town in this like two minute sequence that was very hyperactive. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I, th- I find that the dollhouse works pretty well when he starts montaging things. Yeah in it and like like giving you a lot of story really fast but like whipping the visuals around yes and then stopping you know at 90 degrees to every frame versus like just a guy walking upstairs for two minutes Mm -hmm. it doesn't work for me which i think is how this one started too my number seven is probably controversial for other people who are into wes anderson it's 2001 the royal tannenbaums interesting okay which I would say, starting from here, are movies that I like from Wes okay. Anderson. That I, well, I like Life Aquatic too, but like uh, movies that I don't mind rewatching, I would say. Back to Royal Tannenbaums, I just rewatched. Like I finished it right before we got on. And maybe it would even be higher if I had made this list right after. I don't know. I need to rewatch the ones above it as well. So, yeah. Kind of unfair, um, but I'm going to leave it here at number seven for now. Um, I do find charm in this movie. I definitely like that it's pre locking into the style. Mm-hmm. So you, you still have like some camera movements that aren't quite uh, as harshly um, rigid as the style becomes later on. Um, and I also think that there's moments in this movie that are. Maybe not laugh out loud, but chuckle worthy, I would say. I also like when Ben um, Ben Stiller gets angry. Like I really like his character in Mystery Men. Angry oh, Man yeah. Or yes. Mr. Furious, where he's just angry for no reason. That's a superpower. In uh, in the World Tannenbaums, he's like the angry son who's mad because, uh, well, he has daddy issues and his wife died. So he has reasons to be angry, <laughs> but he's like very angry throughout the whole movie. Um, and so uh, I, I just enjoy his performance in particular in the Royal Tannenbaums. Uh, but also, I don't know. Some of it just falls flat for me. Like most of the Gwyneth Paltrow stuff and the Owen Wilson, Luke Wilson stuff, mm-hmm. which is a lot of it doesn't really work for me so my number seven nice i forgot ben stiller was in the run to the moms like mm-hmm. it's interesting that he made a movie with a bunch of people he did not normally work with because he's and a then very he locked was in never cast. in another one again yeah exactly like th- th- there's other one-offs in his in these other movies mm-hmm. but he very much uses the same cast or similar cast from movie to movie mm-hmm. but for some reason he just did the one and then yeah isn't any of the other ones maybe ben Stiller's like that guy's a jerk (laughs) i don't want to work with him sure uh my number six is isle of dogs my number six is isle of dogs all right all right uh this is kind of a weird one yep yeah it's uh it's stop animated that's a bingo bingo. (laughs) it takes place in 
possibly like a futuristic Japanese city. Am I correct? Like a near future? I don't know. I thought it was actually like Tokyo or like a, I think they actually give it a name, don't they? Oh, yeah. No, it, it takes place in Japan, but in the right. future, I thought. Like maybe the near future. I don't. I've seen yeah. it once. I don't remember. Yeah. So, I mean, th- th- this is a movie about uh, I think there's like a like a, a, a flu or a sickness that broke out among the dogs. So all the dogs are being banished to an island. And then there's a boy who goes to this island to try and rescue his own dog. Mm-hmm. And there, you know, the dogs talk. I think the dogs even talk to the boy. So like, there's no question about can they communicate? But what I liked about this one is like there is it's there's humor to it, but there's a little darkness to this one too. Mm-hmm. And I I like Wes Anderson when he puts a little darkness in his stories. And I think right sometimes his stories of the dollhouse stuff can be like a little too pure and bright or just flat. And in this one, like they're talking about like, these dogs are going to be essentially exterminated and like people get hurt. And it's, you know, I, I think it's a kid's safe movie for the most part. But, it, you know, there's mm-hmm. also says like there's danger in the world and this movie doesn't shy away from danger. Yeah. Um, film is set in the fictional Japanese city of Megasaki. So. Oh, so not a real city. Not a real city, also not the future of some real city. <laughs> you know what I mean? <laughs> Letterbox says in the future, an outbreak of canine flu. Weird. <laughs> okay. Um, yeah, I mean, I, I, I like his animated movies. You know, if there was let's say he made a non-animated version of this, I'd probably like it less. I okay. Think the presentation on this one does a lot of heavy lifting. It's kind of an adventure movie. The dogs are going on an adventure. They're they're trying to find their way home. I don't remember the details, but you know they they have to get from point A to point B, and the boy is uh, trying to help them on some level, if memory serves. Um, I think it's a beautifully designed movie. Mm-hmm. Like just the graphic design behind it is super impressive and uh, goes farther than, I mean, most of Wes Anderson's movies. The production design goes farther than most movies even come close to attempting. Yeah, um, and these this movie in particular um, definitely is an example of that. Like just the sheer number of logos they had to design just (laughs) to put this thing on screen. (laughs) Yeah. Type of thing um, is super impressive. The, um, the sushi scene is amazing for stop motion. Do you remember that at all? I don't remember the sushi scene. No, look at, go to YouTube, look up sushi scene. I dogs. It's amazing. Um, It's great. Uh, and will kind of surprise you that it's even stop motion. It won't surprise you, but it's impressive. Anyway, um, yeah, I think it's charming, and also I like it for the reason you gave, specifically that a kid could watch this. There will be enough danger and enough stakes that they might remember it at the end, Uh, but also it's not too dark at the same time. Right. All right, my number five is the other first-time watch for me, a movie I had never seen from Wes Anderson, and this is his first one, Bottle Rocket from 1996. That's a Also your number five. Okay. Also my number five. All right. <laughs> uh, so I, I always find it interesting to watch the first movie from any director who has a very specific style because mm-hmm. it's always about, can I see that style in this movie? And I would say visually, 
I didn't see a lot of what we now know as Wes Anderson in Bottle Rockets. This movie is more or less shot pretty standardly. Standard mid-90s indie. Exactly, yeah. Yeah. Maybe like that final heist in the warehouse was a little Wes Anderson-y at times. There's a shot where they're sitting in the foreground looking at a warehouse through binoculars. Oh, And like the framing... And the distance of like people in the foreground and the the perfect angle of the title of the building mm-hmm. like on it. I, I was like, this is absolutely one frame of the movies he's making now. <laughs> You're right. That you is, is the style will come to know. <laughs> yes. Right. And he locked the camera on a tripod for that shot. But the majority of the movie is not necessarily shaky cam, but the, the camera moves with it's a lot of handheld cam in this. Yeah. Right. Exactly. Um, what I did like about this movie, and I think what this movie shows where Wes Anderson can be successful is the characters. Mm. Um, I mean, especially Owen Wilson's character, Digman or whatever he was, mm-hmm. as kind of like this hapless leader of an even more hapless group of bandits. Like this guy thinks he is the smartest person in the, in the room. Mm-hmm. He, th- he thinks he's got everything covered. And the minute things go wrong, it just all just crumbles. Mm-hmm. But like that character is written so confidently and so quirkily that I, I I was just loving watching Owen Wilson in this movie. And I think sure. that is what I was getting more from Bottle Rocket as the first Wes Anderson movie. I'm like, oh, he can make interesting characters. Mm-hmm. And Owen Wilson's an example of that for sure. Yeah, his character is like projects confidence, but ultimately yes. is pretty insecure. It, exactly. Yep. Yeah, yeah. Yep. Really, the more secure one is Luke Wilson. <laughs> right. <laughs> <a weird> yeah, like, <laughs> Even though he's the one that starts off, you know, in a uh, some kind of institution in that film. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, I. it's also the rare love story in a Wes Anderson film. It's not often that you get like a kind of somewhat traditional love story well, you do that's right with, with, with owen wilson or like luke wilson and the the maid whose name i cannot remember right um and uh and yeah and the, and it's also a heist movie which is fun but it's such a small stakes heist movie sure. <laughs> like but the the scene where they've got kind of the day laborers up against the wall yeah with their with their hands up and they're all running around in yellow jumpsuits <laughs> yeah with little it's, microphones on <laughs> and they're they can't get their uh disguises on <laughs> their fast enough. On. Yep. yeah oh yeah it's great it's yeah. hilarious i i really enjoy bottle rocket i think yeah it's, I, I think it's fun and funny and informative if you're a wes anderson fan to just be like oh yeah this this makes sense you're right yeah, I'm, I'm glad i got around to it nice all right my I'm number four think- Oh, God. Before you go, I'm also thinking of the shot where he's in the pool. Luke Wilson's in the pool. And he's like got his arms up on the side of the pool and he's seeing the maid for the first time. And it's cutting to like a locked off shot of him in the pool, kind of like angled down, but perfectly perpendicular. Right. And then, yeah. And then his viewpoint is her walking out of the room and everything is like perfectly centered. That's another shot where they're like, you're like, okay. This is Wes Anderson. <laughs> I see where we're going. Before he decided this was the entire movie, <laughs> the only this thing, is where he right. got it from. Yeah, anyway. yeah. Wes Anderson no longer knows how to move a camera. Right. Can only just gimbal it around, or no longer so. wants to. Evidently, yeah, yeah. True. Yep. All right. My number four is the Royal Tenenbaums. Uh, I put this one here. 
because I, and I've seen this in 20 years. I saw it in theaters when it came out, like in mm-hmm. college. But this movie left an impression on me. And I okay. can't exactly put w- what it is, but th- there is definitely a lot of, I don't know, maybe angst in this movie or drama in this movie mm-hmm. between this family. And for whatever reason, like that, those emotions have stuck with me. When I think of this movie, I think of really feeling those emotions in the theater. So visually, I, I'm sure there's Wes Anderson stuff in this. Um, but for me, it was just the the emotion of the characters, how that was portrayed across the screen has always stuck with me. And this is one that I definitely want to rewatch. So I put it at four just because I have this strong emotional connection to it, even though I can't make it very specific. Mm-hmm. Nice. Uh, my number four is the Grand Budapest Hotel from 2014, okay. which is number 210 on my top 600, which is the lowest rated movie on my top 600. There's nothing Wes Anderson from 210 okay. to 600. <laughs> <laughs> but there's a couple things from 210 up. Um, So yeah, Grand Budapest Hotel, very fast moving movie. Mm-hmm. Uh almost completely dollhouse style. There's a couple of um, more inventive shots that are still very stylized for sure. The skiing shot comes to mind. Yes. Um, there's, there's a couple of them that are not necessarily dollhouse, but are definitely stylized. It's not just a handheld camera for sure. Um, but I, I like the pace of this movie, the quirkiness of the characters, the fact that there is a very clear plot and a um, a goal that people are trying to get to mm-hmm. that is pretty clearly defined. That's not always the case for all of these movies. Some of them, I feel like they meander a little bit, and that's not the case with Grand Budapest Hotel. Um, yeah, I just I enjoy the movie as kind of like a, a romp and a little bit of a, a little bit of a heist like movie um and a uh chase movie as well so my number four i'm trying to bring up my top 600 here to see if i can figure out where wes anderson ranks but my computer's running slow so do you have any in your top 600 for oh me? i'm sure i have a couple in my top 600 okay let me see if i can find any oh you know it also might not be loading fully i'm not sure let's try one more what works better for me is just click mm. edit, do a search there, and then it'll be like, it'll search against your whole 600 that way. It's all right. I'll figure this out later. This is right. not interesting to listen to at all. Okay. My number three mm-hmm. is Fantastic Mr. Fox. All right. Which I believe is also a Roald Doll adaptation. Yes. Uh, another stop animated movie about a group of forest animals who are, I guess this is another heist movie, right? They're trying yeah. to defend themselves against a a, a, uh, a factory or a, a group of farmers might be it. It's farmers. Okay. In my memory, yeah. Yeah, I've, this, so this is the one that I've seen twice. And I think this is one of his better representations of his dollhouse style because it's all stop animation. Mm-hmm. And it, it, it kind of works to have like these 2D shots of animals digging around the grass like they're in an anthill or... um to be moving through these tunnels. And I, th- I think his style works really well in this movie. And then the story is just a lot of fun too. Uh, you have these animals who are going on a heist. They're planning something, but like Isle of Dogs, it has this sense of danger. Like they're not just, you know, trying to steal acorns from a squirrel. Like these, they're trying to stop farmers that want to kill them. 
that have guns that want to poison them. Animals in this story do get hurt. But again, I think for most kids, you they could watch this if they can handle some of the more scary elements of it. Mm-hmm. My son has definitely seen this one and liked it. Nice. Uh, my number three is number 160 on my top 600. It's Moonrise Kingdom from okay. 2012. Um, I like this movie quite a bit. It's very charming. It's a coming of age uh, drama slash comedy, probably. Um, it's about uh, this kid in the this world's equivalent of the boy scouts yep <laughs> and he's on a camping trip he doesn't like his other campers he's kind of isolated from them and he has a pen pal slash crush on uh on this girl who um i believe is like with the girl scouts or something like that this world's yeah. equivalent type of thing and so they both while they're on a camping trip run away together and meanwhile the uh, camp counselors of sorts um, decide to uh, go or, you know, they, they try to find them because they've run away. Um, so it's a little bit of a chase movie, but also amongst that chase is these two young people kind of in young puppy love with each other mm-hmm. and experiencing each other. Uh, yeah. And just trying to figure out what life is as kind of people who are interested in each other, but also like just escaped situations where they were the odd man out or woman out in this case. Um, And uh, yeah, I just find it incredibly charming. It's a simple story. It's fairly short from my memory, 94 minutes. Mm -hmm. So it'll get you in. It'll get you out. It definitely has the dollhouse feel to it, but because of the outdoor nature of the vast majority of the movie, it doesn't feel quite as claustrophobic as some of his other movies felt feels more open and beautiful. Um, and uh, yeah, I enjoy this one quite a bit. Nice. My number two is the previously mentioned, I guess there ought to be previously mentioned at this point, <laughs> Grand Budapest Hotel. Uh, this is probably Wes Anderson's best showing of his dollhouse style given that this whole thing takes place in a hotel in live action I would agree right right that. I should say in live action yes yeah um, I don't know really know what to say I've, I've, a lot of people think this is his best movie like this is probably his opus <laughs> amongst most fans of his and I, I definitely like this I get this as my, as my number two um, it's a dense story I, I believe it's a story within a story within a story. Mm-hmm. And it does some interesting things where each part of the story is framed in a different aspect ratio. I think it gets narrower as we get, they get, we go farther back in time, which I thought was an interesting way to tell the story. Um, and then you also have this great relationship between um, Ray Fiennes as his concierge. And then I won't call him Tony Ravioli, but I, I know that's not his name. <laughs> sure. You know what I'm talking about. Yes, I do. Yes, the 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 kid who plays kind of his protege, mm-hmm. and sort of their relationship they have as this this whole backdrop. I think World War II is happening in the background. So, this is another uh, Wes Anderson movie that I would like to revisit. I was looking. I don't have any Wes Anderson movies on my top six hundred because my top six hundreds are only movies that I either gave four stars to or gave a heart to. 
I'm not giving four stars or a heart to any Wes Anderson feature length movie. Sure. Fair enough. Um, Tony Revolori. Okay. Not Tony Ravioli. <laughs> sure. My number two, my second favorite uh, Wes Anderson movie is also my number 97 my top 600 so this is a top 100 movie for me oh wow and it's of course fantastic mr fox this movie really took me by surprise i um i don't know why because in 2009 i was very aware of wes anderson and had been watching wes anderson movies for Mm -hmm. the better part of a decade and yet this movie came out i didn't watch it then i had my nieces and nephews and my son with me And they were having a sleepover and I was trying to find something that was age appropriate for kids in their early teens and also like a seven year old. And it's kind of hard to find that. And for some reason, uh, we decided to rent fantastic Mr. Fox. (laughs) And then I watched it without knowing it was a Wes Anderson movie. Oh yeah. And about like halfway into it, I was like, this movie is weird, but I'm really enjoying this. <laughs> and then uh, at the end of it, um, you know, it told me who the director was. And I was like, that totally makes sense mm-hmm. <laughs> that this is Wes Anderson. Um, yeah, I I think this is the best exit. I think his animated movies show off this film. This where we said it a million times in this episode, this dollhouse style filmmaking. <laughs> yep. It's the best showcase for that style, Um, probably because that's how you storyboard it. And it's going to be exactly what you want it to be, no matter what. You don't even have to lean on the performances of actors at that point. You can meticulously detail every single movement. And I believe he does um, in his two animated movies and um, didn't really know the story of the Fantastic Mr. Fox. Not like a story that I read in books and then. There was an adaptation, so the story was new to me. For some reason, the choice to not have the animals cuss, nor have them, nor beep out their cuss words, but just have them say the word cuss. Cuss, yeah. Was like the perfect choice you could make for some reason. Um, again, I'm curious if the original story, do they, do the characters say the word cuss or do they even cuss? Was that like a Wes Anderson thing? I don't Great know. question. But even more than the four shorts we discussed earlier f- from the Netflix collection, this movie makes me want to see what a Wes Anderson big budget Charlie and the Chocolate Factory movie would be. Oh, interesting. Yeah. You, even if Timothy Chalamet was in it? Um. Yeah, I'd be fine with that as long as it was okay. Wes Anderson. Because you know Wes Anderson, it doesn't matter if you're the biggest star in the world, you're still going to be away in a Wes Anderson movie. Very true. <laughs> you, know I mean? yeah. you could put Tom Cruise on the screen. He's just going to be another player in Wes Anderson's world, what, basically. What if Dead Reckoning Part 2 is directed by Wes Anderson? That would be a change. Like, Can you That's imagine sure. like Tom Cruise like, okay, for this mission, we're going to need spy glasses. We're going to need right. Suction cups. I don't know, like, just imagine like 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 a Wes Anderson like the, the montage. inventory montage. Exactly. Yeah, yeah, for sure. I'd watch it. Oh man! Um, based on the last one, it might be more interesting than what we're going to end <laughs> up with. Anyway, okay. Fantastic Mr. Fox, super fun movie, and uh, and 
thankfully appropriate for all ages. Yeah. Something I forgot to mention about Steve Zissou mm-hmm. is that there is multiple shootouts or there's like one extended action scene in that mm-hmm. movie. Sure. And I don't know if I've ever seen Wes Anderson do action since. Yeah. I mean, in most movies, he he puts most action off screen. Right. Like yeah. you, you might hear it or you see the effect, the after effects of it. Mm-hmm. But like in this one, there is Bill Murray with like with like a pistol just randomly shooting around and like all these guys with AK-47s and there's blood and it was sure. something else. So I was like, oh, <laughs> I did not expect this from Wes Anderson. <laughs> What's yeah. your number one? Uh, my number one is going to be Mission Impossible Dead Reckoning number two, which he's going to hopefully direct. <laughs> so, no, uh, my number one is Mood Rise Kingdom. Nice. And yeah, th- this one, this one just feels wholesome of all the Wes Anderson movies. Mm-hmm. And for, for, for reasons you said, like it's this tale of kind of first love. These two kids, they run away. There are stakes, but they're not super high stakes. It's mostly scout masters who are worried that these kids are lost. Mm hmm. Um, I think maybe Bill Murray might play like the father of the daughter who gets a little huffy about the fact that his daughter has a, a crush. But everything is just kind of toned down a little bit. And like you mm-hmm. said, it's outdoors. So you're getting the Wes Anderson style, but you don't feel so cramped because you're not in a literal dollhouse. You're mm-hmm. still get to be in this bright, sunny, um, kind of bucolic summer camp place. So yeah, this one just kind of, makes me feel the best of all his movies and of, of any of them that, that I would, would want to rewatch, not because I need to rewatch, but this is the one I want to rewatch the most just because I know I'll have a good time with it. They're the ones I think I need to rewatch because I might've missed something or I get something new out of them mm-hmm. being this far away from where they were made. Nice. Totally agree with everything, everything you yeah. just said. My number one is number 66 on my top 600 wow. and the highest ranking Wes Anderson movie in my top 600 Rushmore from nineteen. So this is where we're the farthest apart. I feel like everything else we are pretty much pretty close, pretty yeah. close, except Rushmore. And with the I think you will change your it. mind. <laughs> oh, I'm, I'm sure if I watch again, I'll have a much different opinion. It's been 20 years and like how many leaps in video technology since I've seen this movie. <laughs> Especially since you watched Bottle Rocket for the first time recently, right? Yeah. And it's landed uh, middle of your list. Exactly. Yep. I think Rushmore is a very natural progression from Bottle Rocket. Bottle Rocket is like a first-time filmmaker, occasionally making first-time filmmaker mistakes, I would say. Like with characterization, like certain characters don't get as much screen time as they should probably should um yeah and and it's it's a little i don't know it's just not as tight as rushmore so rushmore lives in this world where you've you've still got a guy who's figuring things out and so there's still a little bit of that 90s indie style Mm -hmm. of shooting with the handhelds there's a little more specifically locked off shots and the dollhouse style kind of makes its first appearance in the sections that are an actual representation of a stage play. Right. They're actual stage plays. Yes. Right. So there's an actual stage play towards the end of the film as, as a piece of the film. And during those sections, you can see the dollhouse style. Um, and so not only will it kind of be a visual reference for what's to come, 
it's not so harshly stylized as what's to come. <laughs> right. Yeah. There's still a playfulness to it in more ways than just playful in the dollhouse style, which is what we currently have gotten for the last decade plus. Um, on top of that, you've got um, a great performance by Jason Schwartzman, who's mm-hmm. just kind of a young punk in this movie, who's in love with his teacher, just as you remembered. Then you've got Bill Murray, who's also in love with with his with the same teacher. Yeah. Um, neither of them, I would say, are particularly age appropriate. Jason Schwartzman definitely isn't from a legal perspective. He's a for student. Sure. Yes, <laughs> he's a student. But also, Bill Murray's way too old for the. He's teacher, like, I yeah, he's like bill murray age <laughs> right so yeah. the seeing these two guys who are not right for this woman no matter what uh kind of battle over her without considering her as a person who might have her own opinion on these things right. and no one having her. <laughs> having that become the story over time like the first half of the movie is like these two guys becoming aware of each other becoming aware of the fact that they're after the same thing her the teacher and kind of warring that's the first two thirds of the movie. And then the last third is her making them realize that like, she's not a thing to be one type of thing. And so I really like the story of the movie. I also think from a Bill Murray perspective, this is like my third favorite thing he's been in ever like behind groundhog day and maybe, maybe Peter Venkman from Ghostbusters, mm-hmm. like this is top tier Bill Murray. It's just him just without any shame trying to outsmart a 15 year old over a woman. <laughs> thing. It's it's very goofy and silly and uh I don't know, devious, maybe, mm-hmm. but in a fun way. Uh and that's why um I've seen Rushmore by far the most of any of these movies, probably four or five times. And uh continue to love it every time i see it i have just added rushmore and royal tenenbaums to my rewatch list okay probably should watch them before we do record this episode but you know i guess i'll get something out of them um i i don't know if your opinion of royal tenenbaums will change but i would be shocked if rushmore didn't move up i'm not gonna say it's gonna become your favorite but i would be shocked if it if your opinion changes quite a bit <laughs> it'll probably <laughs> I mean, hopefully at least higher than fresh than french dispatch sure especially yeah. because of your reaction to bottle rocket and the fact that i know you're not a wes anderson mark because of the dollhouse effect like you could you could come or leave that effect oh, right for the most yeah. part eight of these 10 movies have three and a half stars and the other two have three and two and a half so like sure I, I, i'm not blown away by wes anderson as a director Right. For as a visualist. Yeah. And, and right. maybe I need to focus more on his characters. Cause that seems after watching bottle rock, I'm like, Oh, maybe I'm, I've been looking at these movies the wrong way. I find that with the exception of his animated movies, the farther he gets into his career, the more he leans into himself as a visualist with a very specific style, the less relatable his characters become. Yeah. And I don't necessarily like that trend. Um, and, um, you can't see it too terribly in my top. I mean, Isle of Dogs is the most recent one. Mm-hmm. And, but his two most recent, the French Dispatch and Asteroid City are recent. 
And they're they're low for you. And they're the lowest. Yeah. 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 No, I I think he is getting worse for me. Right. Yeah. If you were to take the total of all four Netflix shorts as a collection, mm-hmm. where would it fall on your list? Ooh, well, see, that's the weird thing is Henry Sugar is my favorite thing he's ever done. <laughs> <laughs> sure. But you got to keep the other three in there, too. Uh, I mean, the safe thing would be the put it between Bottle Rocket and Isle of Dogs, which is right in the middle. But I'm okay. not going to go safe. So I'm going to put it between three and four. Oh, but that's, wow. That's Bye. just because Henry Sugar. You like that it, a lot. It, we're great. Yeah, they, we're great on the curve here. <laughs> I, sure. I, I think that one is so much fun that I can overlook um, the two I didn't enjoy and the one that I was okay with. I would probably put it between eight and nine. Oh, uh, okay. right Low. between Life Aquatic and the French Dispatch. Mm-hmm. Just above French Dispatch because I think they're both anthologies with sections that I don't like at all for the most yeah. part. Not that I didn't like you know, some of the sections of the Netflix one, but they're mid um and uh but i think there was more to like in the netflix collection than french dispatch agree there yeah so it's hard it's hard to put because i was so on the spectrum of how much i liked those four it's hard to say where it should all go sure all right that was our top 10 wes anderson movies hopefully you enjoyed that if you disagree with our rankings we'd love to hear your reasoning or maybe you agree. Doesn't matter. Either way, if you'd like to tell us about it, you could always send us an email to heyguys at cinerealist.com. Send a comment, question, list, suggestion, movie suggestion, pretty much anything you want to send us, send us via email. Uh, and we'll talk about it on the podcast. Also, find the video version on YouTube, support us on Patreon, or leave us an Apple podcast review, or follow us and communicate with us on social media on Twitter, Facebook. Instagram or TikTok at Cinerealists. You could also follow me on my personal Twitter or Letterboxd account at EOJRB. Find me on Letterboxd at Peter SKB. Next week, we will most likely be discussing Martin Scorsese's new movie, Killers of the Flower Moon, which I believe is the first Scorsese movie you and I will have ever reviewed together. Because is Irishman his last movie? Yeah. And that was 2019. That was so. right before you uh, you started doing weekly with us. I know. Thank goodness for a global pandemic <laughs> to this show. <laughs> I mean, yeah, millions of people may have died, but <laughs> you're welcome, listeners. Sure. Um, and I'm pretty sure Zach will be back as well. Oh, yeah. He'll be so, back too. Yeah. We'll see. Yep. And he'll have Tales of Toledo uh, to yeah. share with us all. I can't wait. Uh, we'll see you guys next time. Until then, keep it real.
You're still here? It's over. Go home. Go.